today we will review the story of Noah and as is the case with each one of these episodes they all have key information that will help us understand our last final series that of the last days and the second coming and understanding those prophecies and scriptures as it relates to us living today some of the questions we hope to answer in this series are how are you and I interested and connected to Noah what was Methuselah's unique calling how long did Noah preach before the flood came why would God destroy everyone on the earth what were the elements of wickedness at the time of Noah how did Noah gather all those animals how long did it rain in order to flood the entire earth how long were they on the ark what was the first thing they did once they got off the ark what special instructions did God give them once they arrived back on land and again our focus today will be how does Noah relate to the second coming and us today the story of Noah is an interesting and a fascinating and a a well-known story as well it comes right on the heels of Enoch now the city of Enoch was taken up and Methuselah had a unique calling Noah was to come through the lineage of Enoch so Methuselah's calling was to remain on the earth while the rest of the city of Enoch was taken up so that Noah could come through his lineage so kind of a unique calling there if you consider his special assignment so the Lord communicates with Noah and Noah begins to preach and the Lord gives them a hundred and twenty years to get their act together before he will destroy the earth with a flood. The scriptures mentioned three main problems that they were having. One is they mentioned marriage. The second is that they were a violent society. And the third, they ignored the prophets. Now, for sure, they had other problems in their society, but those three main elements are always listed and mentioned in the account. We'll go into a little more detail on each one of those as it relates to us. It seems a little bit ruthless that God would destroy everything on the earth. I like the way Elder Neil A. Maxwell put it. He said that God intervened when corruption had reached an agency-destroying point that spirits could not, in justice, be sent here. Now that's fascinating. We've talked about agency from the very beginning and how God has protected agency. John Taylor indicated that the flood was an act of love. Why did the Lord destroy the world, he said? Was it an act of love? Yes. The people were so wicked, they would have transmitted their unrighteous natures and desires to their children. Someone may ask, is it right that a just God should sweep off so many people? Is that in accordance with mercy? Yes. It was just to those spirits who had not received their bodies And it was just and merciful, too, to those people guilty of the iniquity. Why? Because by taking away their earthly existence, he prevented them from entailing their sins upon their posterity and degenerating them, and also preventing them from committing further acts of wickedness. Kind of a unique perspective. So the people ignored Noah's preaching and prophesying. And it wasn't until it started raining that they started to get real serious about believing Noah. But at that point, it was too late. One of the great stories of the Bible is Noah building an ark and gathering all the animals. And if you've ever wondered how Noah was able to gather the animals, 
The Genesis account gives us a little sneak peek. It says in verse 20, well, let's get a run into it in verse 19. And of every living thing of all flesh, two of every sort shalt thou bring into the ark to keep them alive with thee. They shall be male and female, of fowls after their kind, and of cattle after their kind, of every creeping thing of the earth after his kind. Two of every sort shall come unto thee to keep them alive. So did you catch that? They came to him. He didn't have to go set traps and and try to lure them in with food. They came to him. I think that's fascinating. How long did it rain before the flood was there? The account says that it rained upon the earth 40 days and 40 nights. This is from Genesis chapter 7. Uh, Verse 10 says, It came to pass after seven days that the waters of the flood were upon the earth. And the next verse is fascinating. Noah was 600 years old. That's hard for us to fathom. But in the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month of the 17th day of the month, the same day were all the fountains of the great deep broken up or burst open, and the windows of heaven were opened, and the rain was upon the earth 40 days and 40 nights. So it rained for 40 days and 40 nights, but to get that much water on the earth, the water had to also come from underneath the earth, in the earth, and also from the heavens. Noah was asked to gather seven of all the clean animals, and that is so they could continue to worship by offering the clean animals as sacrifice, as was the custom. How long were they on the ark? Well, if you look at it very closely, they were on the ark for about the space of a year. If you can imagine being on a boat for that long with animals, you know, logistically, there's a lot of question marks, and this was not an easy assignment. Could you imagine their joy getting off the ark after being on for a year? The ark landed in Mount Ararat. Now, our belief is, through modern revelation, we know that the Garden of Eden was in Missouri, in Adam on Dion. So we believe the human race began in North America. Now, if that's the case, sometimes the question is asked, well, how did they get on the other side of the world over there in the Middle East where the Bible takes place? Well, the belief is that from Adam down to Noah, that they were in North America. When the flood happens, they're on the ark and they land in Mount Ararat, which is believed to be in Turkey. And then from that point on, the the story carries on over there in that part of the world. The first thing they did when they got off the ark is they offered sacrifice to the Lord. And, And the Lord also gave them unique instructions once they were off the ark relating to the animals that they had been on the ark with for so long. This is in the Joseph Smith translation in Genesis chapter 9. But notice this, verses 10 to 14. But the blood of all flesh, which I have given you for meat, shall be shed upon the ground, which taketh life thereof, and the blood ye shall not eat. And surely blood shall not be shed only for meat, or to save your lives. And the blood of every beast will I require at your hands. And whoso sheddeth man's blood by man, shall his blood be shed. For man shall not shed the blood of man. For a commandment I give thee, that every man's brother shall preserve the life of man. For in mine own image have I made man. And a commandment I give unto you, Be ye fruitful, and multiply. Bring forth abundantly on the earth, and multiply therein. 
you know, consider the logistics. Again, they're, they're on the boat for an entire year with these animals. You pet owners out there know how closely you can bond with, with animals and you feel their spirit and they have a personality. Well, now they get on the earth again and these animals now become meat for them and clothing. And he gives them instruction that every animal that they kill, they will be held accountable for. I feel like those instructions are the Lord's instructions on how we should deal with animals, that we should respect human life and animal life as well. Now let's get to the fun part. How does Noah relate to the second coming and to us today? In the Mount of Olives discourse, which the Savior gave during the last week of of his life, when he talked about his return, each of the accounts say, As in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the coming of the Son of Man. In other words, conditions will be very similar when Christ comes as they were in the days of Noah. The surprise element of the flood for the people will be part of the surprise and the correlation and similarity of the second coming. But also, the conditions will also be the same. So let's look specifically at the spiritual conditions that accompanied Noah's society. Namely, those three things are mentioned scripturally. uh, Marriage, violence, and ignoring the prophets. Let's look at each one specifically. For whatever reason, marriage is always mentioned with Noah and his society. The scriptures say, The sons of God married the daughters of men. In Moses chapter 8, verse 13, Noah and his sons hearkened unto the Lord and gave heed, and they were called the sons of God. Verse 14, And when these men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto them, the sons of men saw that those daughters were fair, and they took them wives, even as they chose. And the Lord said unto Noah, The daughters of thy sons have sold themselves, for behold, Mine anger is kindled against the sons of men, for they will not hearken to my voice. So he indicates that the sons of God were those that were obedient and gave heed to the Lord. Uh, Those he called the sons of God and the sons of men would not hearken unto his voice. So there's a little chart in the visuals and there's a grid, four different quadrants. On the left is sons of God and sons of men. On the top is daughters of God and daughters of men. In quadrant number one is where the sons of God would be connected to the daughters of God. Quadrant two, sons of God are connected to the daughters of men. Quadrant three, sons of man are connected to daughters of God. Quadrant four, sons of man are connected to daughters of man. Which quadrant is the best? Which one is the worst? Which one is celestial? Which one do you want? Which one are you working and living for? Which one were you born into? And which one do you want your children to be born into? A very interesting diagram, one that you should talk about and consider and internalize. Regarding marriage, as we mentioned in the creation podcast, that the entire purpose of life is to bring a husband and wife together to be sealed for time and all eternity. That's the whole purpose of the earth. And if that doesn't happen, then the whole earth is a waste and will utterly be destroyed at his coming. Many prophets have backed this up. President David O. McKay, in the teachings of the Church of Christ, the family assumes supreme importance in the development of the individual 
and of society. President Kimball, marriage is perhaps the most vital of all decisions and has the most far-reaching effects, for it has to do not only with immediate happiness but also with eternal joys. Marriage can be more an exultant ecstasy than the human mind can conceive. This is within the reach of every couple, every person. President Benson, as our family is our greatest source of joy in this life, so it may well be in the eternity. Boyd K. Packer, the ultimate purpose of all we teach is to unite parents and children in faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that they are happy at home, sealed in an eternal marriage, linked to their generations, and assured the exaltation in the presence of our Heavenly Father. Bruce R. McConkie, there is nothing in this world as important as the creation and perfection of family units. The whole aim and purpose of the gospel is to enable men and women, united as one in the Lord, to create for themselves eternal family units in eternity. Celestial marriage prepares us for the greatest joy and happiness known to mortals and for eternal life in the realms ahead. Knowing that this is the entire purpose of the creation and what God is hoping his children will come away from from their earthly experience. Now, we should mention that before the final judgment, every single one of Heavenly Father's children, every man and woman, will have the opportunity to be married. So those who don't get that opportunity and don't have that blessing in this life, they will have that opportunity before the final judgment. So know that everyone will get that opportunity. The adversary also knows this about the plan of happiness. This quote is one of the most insightful that I have ever read. It's by Boyd K. Packer in General Conference, uh, October 1993. He says the single purpose of Lucifer is to oppose the great plan of happiness, to corrupt the purest, most beautiful, and appealing experiences of life, romance, love, marriage, and parenthood. Now think about that for a minute. See if this doesn't ring true to you. The single purpose of Lucifer, his main objective, is to oppose these things, to corrupt the purest, most beautiful, and appealing experiences in life, romance, love, marriage, and parenthood. That is where he focuses. That's his attack. No wonder that there are so many broken families in the world. One of the most optimistic, positive prophets we ever had was President Gordon B. Hinckley. And this is what he said. As I look to the future, I see little to feel enthusiastic about concerning the family in America and across the world. I lift a warning voice to our people. We have moved too far toward the mainstream of society in this matter. Now, of course, there are good families. There are good families everywhere. But there are too many who are in trouble. This is a malady with a cure. The prescription is simple and wonderfully effective. It is love. It is plain, simple, everyday love and respect. It is a tender plant that needs nurturing, but it is worth all of the effort we can put into it. Again, Boyd K. Packer, the ultimate purpose of the adversary, who has great wrath because he knoweth that he hath but a short time, is to disrupt, disturb, and destroy the home and the family. Elder Joseph B. Worthlin, back in 1993, said that in the United States, parents of nearly 
2,750 children separate or divorce each day. Every day, over 500 children ages 10 to 14 begin using illicit drugs and over 1,000 start drinking alcohol. Nearly half of all middle schoolers abuse drugs or alcohol or become involved in immorality. Data from other nations are equally alarming. These and many other ills of our society today have their source in breakdown of the family. If Satan can weaken or destroy the loving relationships among members of families, he can cause more misery and more unhappiness for more people than he could in any other way. President Hinckley, back in 1993, since 1960, the U.S. has experienced a 560% increase in violent crime, a 419 increase in illegitimate births, a quadrupling in divorce rates, a tripling of the percentage of children living in single-parent homes, more than a 200% increase in teenage suicide rate. And that was quoting from a Wall Street Journal article. 15th of March, 1993, quantifying America's decline. One need not, of course, read statistics to recognize a moral decay that seems to be going on all about us. It's obvious these statistics are a little old, but something I want you to think about is, have these things gotten better or worse? Here are a few more statistics from the 90s. Alexander Morrison, a member of the 70, back in 1997, said federal government statistics for the United States for 1993 indicate that over 1.2 million babies were born outside of marriage, 31% of all births up from 28 only three years previously. Nearly one in four pregnancies now end in abortion, with approximately 1.6 million abortions performed in 1990 and more than 28 million abortions since 1973. The number of divorces in America has increased by nearly 200% in the last 30 years. Only about 50% of U.S. marriages now are first-time marriages. The percentage of children living in single-parent homes has more than tripled in the last three decades to its current level of nearly 29% of all families and with children. Approximately 90% of single-parent homes are fatherless. The reported incidence of child abuse increased from 101 per 10,000 Americans in 1976 to 390 per 10,000 in 1990, an almost fourfold increase. It is no doubt that marriage and family is under attack and has been so for a very long time. In the visuals, you'll see a chart that charts the number of marriages in each year for the past hundred years just notice how that chart just declines over the last 30 or 40 years. It would be clear to say that marriage has become an issue, especially in the last several years. Some of the major problems in the days of Noah was marriage, and it is also a problem today. President Kimball said, Any of you would go around the world for the sealing ordinance if you knew its importance. If you realized how great it is, no distance, no shortage of funds, no situation would ever keep you from being married in the Holy Temple of the Lord. Now, a unique doctrine that we have as members of the Church of Jesus Christ is that we can be married for time and all eternity. And again, this is the main objective and purpose of the creation of the earth. 
It would be narrow-minded and short-sighted of us to think that life would be a waste for those who do not get the opportunity or don't feel like marriage is the path for them. But it would also be very scripturally irresponsible for us not to emphasize these scriptures that seem to be teaching this doctrine very clearly. Certainly, God and his infinite plan and his infinite mercy will not deny any of his children blessings for keeping their covenants and striving to improve and to become more like him. The last two verses of Moses chapter 8 describe the moral conditions in Noah's day. And God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted its way upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, The end of all flesh is come before me, for the earth is filled with violence, and behold, I will destroy all flesh from off the earth. They had trouble with marriage and family, but the society was a violent society. We could quote equal statistics about the increase of violence. Even in recent days, in the year 2020, violence has increased. We've seen it take the main stage. Violence in movies and fascination with violence has increased and become more alarming as well. So remember, one of the main reasons the Lord mentioned for destroying the earth was because it was a violent society. One of the other big problems that they had in Noah's day is they ignored the prophets' warnings. The importance of you and I listening to the modern prophets will be as critical as it was for the people in the time of Noah to listen to Noah. This concept of ignoring the prophets became a matter of life and death for those that lived in the time of Noah. And also, there are many examples in the scriptures of when this was very critical. One of them was the destruction that happened right before Christ appeared to the Nephites. In 3 Nephi chapter 10, verse 12, it tells us who was not killed. Verse 12 says, And it was the more righteous part of the people who were saved. It was they who received prophets and stoned them not. It's interesting, those who received the prophets were spared. In 2 Nephi 26, verse 8, mentions this for who will survive the second coming. Verse 8, But behold the righteous that hearken unto the words of the prophets, and destroy them not, but look forward unto Christ with steadfastness for the signs which are given, notwithstanding all persecution. Behold, they are they which shall not perish. Listening to the living prophets and following their counsel becomes a matter of life and death. And one last reference in 3 Nephi 28, verse 34 and 35. But woe unto them that will not hearken unto the words of Jesus, and also to them whom he hath chosen and sent among them. For whoso receiveth not the words of Jesus and the words of those whom he hath sent, receiveth not him, and therefore he will not receive them at the last day. It would be better for them if they had not been born. The conditions on the earth at the time when Christ will return for his second coming will be as the days of Noah. And in the days of Noah, marriage was an issue, it was a violent society, and they ignored the prophets. So how does all this relate to us? Quoting from my favorite version of the Mount of Olives discourse regarding the second coming is in Joseph Smith Matthew, verses 40 through 43. But of that day and hour no one knoweth, no, not the angels of God in heaven, but my Father only. But as it was in the days of Noah, so it shall 
be also at the coming of the Son of Man. For it shall be with them, as it was in the days which were before the flood. For until the day that Noah entered into the ark, they were eating, drinking, and marrying, and giving in marriage, and knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For years and years, Christians and others, even Muslims and Jews, have been looking forward to the coming of the Messiah and the return of the Savior. Our current prophet talks a lot about the gathering of Israel and preparing for the second coming. It should be an indication of where we are. One other thing we should mention is a quote by President Joseph Fielding Smith, how the earth was baptized. He says, the earth will be cleansed again. It was once baptized in water. When Christ comes, it will be baptized with fire and the power of the Holy Ghost. At the end of the world, the earth will die. It will be dissolved, pass away, and then it will be renewed or raised with a resurrection. It will receive its resurrection to become a celestial body so that they of the celestial order may possess it forever and ever. Then it will shine forth as the sun and take its place among the worlds that are redeemed. When this time comes, the terrestrial inhabitants will also be taken away and be consigned to another sphere suited to their condition. Then the words of the Savior will be fulfilled, for the meek shall inherit the earth. So the earth was baptized at the time of the flood. It will be baptized by fire as part of the events of the second coming. And those that keep their covenants, those who are righteous, those who listen to the prophets, those who are doing their best, will inherit the earth, which will be a sanctified celestial kingdom for their dwelling. You will not want to miss our next episode. It is about ancient temples. We will look at the Egyptian temples, how they are an imitation of the real true endowment. And we will explain as much as we can about temples you will truly be blown away at how close the imitations are on the Egyptian temples. It is phenomenal.